Hello, and welcome to a special interview-only episode of Down the Middle, a political podcast. You're about to hear our interview with Officer Ed. Due to anonymity, we can only tell you he's a police officer in California. We hope you enjoy the interview, and we want to hear what you think. So leave a comment on any of our socials or our website. Without further ado, Officer Ed. Welcome back to Down the Middle. We have with us Ed, who is a police officer in California who has been amazingly gracious in joining us today. So Ed, if you could tell us what your background is and what led you to become a police officer. I'm an immigrant, uh, born and raised completely in a, in a different country. <clears throat> Moved out of that country uh, at age 18, went to another country for college, completely different continents, and ended up here to finish my college. And uh, when, uh, when 9-11 hit, I actually wanted to do something. So it was either joining the military or joining the police force and I ended up joining the police. And I come from a background of uh, marketing and service. I chose a, a big department in, uh, in, uh, in California and ended up uh, working there. So been the total of about 18 years and uh, I was a training officer, training new people very early on. And uh, being a big department uh, with a lot of uh, activity, you learn a lot. And I was a training officer for a long time. And from that point on, I ended up actually creating a, a unit, creating a um, how the police can interact with uh, the community that, uh, that it's serving. And uh, that's still a little lacking in most departments. Uh, they they kind of uh, depend on each officer to have that or don't have that. Uh, that's, uh, but it's not something that it's actually really taught. It's not something that's on a manual, on paper. This is what you got to do, A, B, C, D. That, that's, that's what I've been doing the last couple of years, just uh, honing that skill and actually putting down on paper, making it into a training program, and actually being able to teach uh, other officers, uh, young or old, uh, a better way of doing things, uh, a way that, you know, when, 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 if, you need to, if you need to use force, you got to use force. There is a there is a way you can do it, and uh, I guess we'll t- we'll talk about that a little bit of the philosophy later on. Yeah. What you're doing in creating that manual is incredibly, obviously, very necessary now. I approach police work as a business, and if cities if cities and police departments will run like a business, they would run a lot more efficiently. Doesn't matter if I give you a ticket. Doesn't matter if I arrest you. I I need to to try to make sure I have a a happy customer. And and if the guy tries to stab me, hit me, or kill me, pull a gun on me, I don't take it personal. It's not because he hates me. He hates the uniform or whatever. He tries to run. It's not personal. It's part of his job to as a bad guy to try to do things, to try to run, to try to, to fight. It's not personal. It's not because he hates me. It, it, it's, he's trying to get away. It's his livelihood. That, that's just, it's not personal. It's a business. And I, I can't take it personal. And I would have no no uh, hesitation in having to pull out my gun and shoot somebody point blank and ending somebody's life because that's it's not personal. It's my it's my my job. I got to be able to protect people and including myself. And, and and it just goes both ways. It's it's not personal for him. It's not personal for me. I have two questions related to my situation. Were there any factors that contributed? I mean, obviously, the elephant in the room question is, would it have been different if my skin was a different color? I mean, they pay police officers a certain amount, and they expect us to be psychologists. They expect us to be parents. Not because of the color of your skin. It's because of the background. I think 
because of your background, we had a little bit of, because of my background, international background, if you're international background, we had a little bit more in common. And the, the, of your background telling me, hey, I never been through this. This is something completely new. I am scared off my pants kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I could see it in your eyes. I'm sorry, I'm killing a street cred right now. I have no problem saying I was terrified. It was absolutely the case. You were telling me a little bit of your background and you just kept going and going and going. I was like, okay, take a deep breath, calm down. Regardless who you are, regardless what, what, what language you speak, regardless what color of your skin, sex or, or age or anything like that, you just adapt to what I can relate with you. The law doesn't discriminate against people. If I let you go here, here you go, take it. And then two minutes later, you go down and get into an argument with somebody and you actually knock somebody out or kill somebody with that, that, that weapon, I'm the one who's going to get sued. I'm the one who's going to get my house taken over. I'm the one who's going to get civilly sued. My kids are not going to have, you know, I'll, I'll be doing jail time. The community don't understand the law. They, they understand what they see in movies. They don't understand the, the law in itself. They don't understand why an officer has the right to arrest you if you resist. Once you're being detained and you're not free to leave and they start arguing with you and resisting you and delaying you, that's additional charge. And that's 99.9% of all this. People have been told some type of thing that, oh, you don't need to talk to the officer. You don't need to, do, to answer him questions. You don't, you don't need to cooperate. You're just opening a big can of worms. I, I have kids. I have, a, um, you know, I have four kids and different ages. I explain to them, look, pretend you're a pedestrian crossing the street. You're on the crosswalk. The light is green for you. You're going to cross the street. As you start crossing the street, you, you hear this car coming at a really high rate of speed. It's hitting stuff. Looks like the guy's drunk. He's hitting other cars, but he's coming really fast. Doesn't look like he's going to stop. He has a red, red light. You have the green light. You're 100% right. He's 100% wrong. 100%. What should you do? Are you going to stop and not get run over? Or are you going to say, no, I'm right. So let me walk in front of this car because he needs to stop for me because I am right. So guess what? You're going to walk. He's going to run you over, possibly kill you. And yeah, he's going to go to jail. He was wrong. And you're right. But guess what? You're either not, not going to be able to walk or you're not going to be there. So what I want you guys to do, and to, this is talking to my kids, is saying, stop. Think about common sense. Same thing with a bad encounter with a cop. It doesn't matter if, you, if he's one of those cops that can't understand things or he's having a bad day. Whatever the problem is, even if you didn't do it, it doesn't matter that you're right. It matters that the cop has a right to be there talking to you because he believes a crime has been committed, right or wrong. If he be, turns out to be racist, it turns out that he made it up. That's something you could take it to court. Nobody wants to be liable for a false arrest. Work through the system. The system is a little, a little uh, slow. The system is a little, um, I mean, there's not much. We're, we're trying to prove things. I mean, the system hasn't changed for years, for decades. And if we're going to change, we got to change the system. It's not right there and then. You're not going to change anything. This is the system we know. This is all we know. And the way we talk, uh, the way I, when I encounter people that are very upset, they're very militant, they're very against police authority or anything like that, they're not even hearing what I'm saying. They just see the uniform and they just see red and they think that um, they can start mounting off because that's what they see on TV. That's what politicians told them. That's what they said. Oh, no, do this. You have your rights and this and this and this. In the end of the day, you're going to lose. 
I'm going to call more people. Even if I'm wrong, I'm going to call more people and you're going to lose. Maybe you lose your life. Maybe you lose a limb. You're going to lose. No matter what you're going to lose, you're going to lose. I think what you're saying is that there is a system for fighting injustice, and that is in court, not on the street. Are the hiring standards different than they used to be? A police officer gets hired, and that's another topic that I'm really big on, too. The hiring standards are, are different than when I started. But most cities, um, they all, all they require is uh, being a citizen, 28 years and a half, and um, a GED or high school diploma. Some cities, some departments require a BA, some, some, some places they require 60 college credits or something, but it's, it's not the most educated, the most, the brightest people. They used to be back in the day when we used to hire people, you had to have a high weight requirement. You wanted somebody who could protect people. You wanted somebody that was aggressive, that could stop a bad person from doing things. Because a person that, that starts work without ever being in a fight once they get slapped, they don't even have to get punched. They get slapped the first time. They just freeze. So they would weed out these people in the academy because the, the police academies were high stress. From day one to the last day, it was like stuff that you see in movies. They, they come in your face. They're throwing sand at you, you know, making you do push-ups on top of rocks, screaming the, you know, their heads off on, on your ear, cussing at you, talking about your mother. It's, they ramp up that, that stress to see can you respond under that stress. Because there's a lot of not nice people out there. But what happens is most departments and most academies can't do that anymore. Because people sue. Oh, this is hazing. Oh, you can't require me that uh, I'm 60 years old. I had a guy in the academy. He was 63 years old. And, and he passed the academy. There's no age requirement. There's no weight height. If you can do it, you can do it. Right? You can pass the test. But they lower the standards in order to be able to get a lot. There's a lot of real estate agents, accountants, and people that... They just want a, a good job with a good retirement. A career in law enforcement is more like a city job for them. They don't think about the, the, the side of, hey, this is, this is a potentially a dangerous job. It's physically demanding. It's psychologically demanding. And a lot of people just freeze. And, and that's because a lot of lawsuits, a lot of trying to be more equitable to everyone. And, oh, we, we got to hire everybody. Got to have a certain amount of little, you know, like uh, uh, um, officers that, are, that, oh yeah, no, he, he, he's, he's, he's five feet tall. No, but, but we can't discriminate because of that. The guy can barely go over a wall. I mean, there's males that are very, very weak too, but we got to hire more females. And there's a lot of females that can't even do a pull-up. And if they have that gear that, that, that weighs about 35 pounds and you're trying to go over a wall, if you can't even do one pull-up, how are you going to be able to get over the wall? What other reforms do you think are necessary to move this conversation forward? I, I believe that there needs to be reform and training. The physical thing is great. I mean, we, we, need to, we need to keep the standards of the physical thing really high. And you need to have a, a yearly evaluation, keep up, you know, kind of thing. If you're going to be in the street, you got to have this, keep up. In my opinion, they have to revisit the whole system as in training because Honestly, it's, it's decades outdated. I mean, we never had to change it because this is the way we do things, right? It's always worked before, but unfortunately, you got to change with the times. The community has changed. The people you're dealing with have changed. Before, people never questioned authority. And now, it, if you don't question authority, you feel like you're missing out. You have to. A police officer comes, you got to talk, get in his face and start talking to him. For me, also, the hiring process... 20 years and a half is too young to me. You're barely in your 20s. 
yeah, you want to chase bad guys. But then also there has to be a balance because then in the end of the day, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm in my late 40s. You think about my, the people, the bad guys that I, I deal with, they all remain around 20s. The, the average age of a bad guy is around 20s because they're either in jail or dead. You know, a gangbang doesn't, 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 doesn't live very long. You have to have a balance of people that are fit age-wise. So I, I don't, it's hard to say what the real answer is for the age of hiring, but it, it, to me, it, it comes down to the, the, the level of maturity of a, of a, of a new recruit. Uh, they need to be learning how to deal with stress. And if they can't deal with it, then you weed them out. Because then you know this is the person that's going to be out in the riot holding a shield that somebody's screaming in his face and he loses it or something and drives through a whole bunch of people or decides to go after one person that, that said something to him, you know, you don't know how they're going to react. You have to realize we're not hiring police officers from Mars, right? A different, different type of human being. We're hiring from the same society that we live in. So we know what kind of society we have. We know what kind of people we have. We have the good ones, the bad ones. It's trying to weed out as much as we can. Can we, can we, can it be foolproof? No, it's impossible. It's impossible to be foolproof. Society needs to understand that when you hire from within our society, you are going to have that 1% that's evil. You're going to have that 5% that is just completely, completely incompetent. Um, There is that 30 to 40% of people that are indifferent. That needs to change. It doesn't matter if they, they screwed you over in the promotion. doesn't matter mm-hmm. if, yeah, it doesn't matter if uh, there, there's a pay problem. doesn't matter if this, you're there, you're affecting people's lives. Understand that. that. That first and foremost, you have a bad day. Somebody gets killed. George Floyd. Incompetence is an is a equal opportunity you know, offender. I have actually uh, been thinking recently about how most mistakes in life are are can be based on incompetence rather than evil intent. So, you know, a lot of people want to draw whether it's a racial conclusion or uh or otherwise. A lot of times it can just be chalked up to simple incompetence whether it's in government or any kind of job because people in every job are incompetent to to a certain degree. There's always that percentage of people who are just not good at their job. And maybe it's not institutional racism that's causing all of the, these problems. Maybe it just is sheer incompetence on the part of the people who are doing the job. You really think that this um this officer from Minneapolis you really think that he woke up in the morning, oh, today I'm going to wake up and kill me a person. Um, let's make it black. Or when he was on the top of the guy's neck, you think he was really thinking, oh, I'm going to kill this person. Let me, let me try to kill. I'm going to teach this guy a lesson or something. That to the, a certain extent it could have been. I mean, I can't, I can't pretend I wasn't there. I can't pretend that I know what he was thinking at the time. But I've had incidents that I've had to pull officers, supervisors. There is certain... A certain, uh, and it's funny, I had to pull a female black officer away from a white, older suspect who was throwing racial slurs at her left and right. And that just hit her buttons and she was arguing with him. And he was getting agitated. And I knew what that was going to lead to. That was going to lead to a use of force. Regardless of that, I don't care if he's racist or not. This is America. He can, he can say whatever he wants to say as long as, because we're police officers. And 
we are paid to take that type of verbal abuse. Like it or not, even though we're human, even though we're just like everybody else, I'm being called everything and everything under the sun. We're, high, we're held to uh, higher standards. Unfortunately, that's just the nature of the game. When you enforce the law, you have to be held to a little bit higher standard than, than the normal people, even though we're just like you. But we have to be able, because we carry so much power, we carry so much deadly power. Quote of Spider-Man, right? You have to have that responsibility. So you have to be calmer than other people. You have to take that abuse. And sometimes if they're having a bad day, if they're having a bad week, if they're disgruntled, if whatever it is, the problem that they're having, they bring it to work and somebody pushes the right buttons. It is up to the other officers. Nobody's perfect, but it's up to that 30 to 40% of indifferent officers to change into different to the ones that care. I mean, those officers were, were just staring at him. As I, and one officer, I heard on, the, on, the, on one of the reports that they asked the, the senior officer, the one who's, uh, who's uh, being charged with the second degree murder, and they asked, hey, uh, should we roll him to his side? And the guy's like, no, no, we just stay right here where he fell. But th- this is the thing. Because it's been done for so many decades, probably from the 70s up until now, this has not changed. The, the amount of force that I have to use depends on you. But guess what? It's, a, it, it's up to the officer who gets paid to do this. We get paid to do this. Who gets the training and who has the power over how this is going to end. I'm not saying back down. As a police officer, I'm not saying back down. I'm saying be effective, be efficient. So what would you tell some of these young recruits to help them prepare for a life in this profession? To be a good officer, safety-wise, you have to have controlled paranoia. I have to expect that at every, every second that in my encounter that I'm too close to him, that he might pull out something from his sock and stab me on the neck. That's just part of the game. That's just part of the business of being a police officer. There's like a fine, fine line between treating somebody with respect, but also treating some, somebody carefully enough where if something bad does happen, you're ready. So you're always thinking about it in the back of your head. Control paranoia. You have to. And I would, I would have a smile on my face when I'm talking to you. I'll be respectful. And if, if that comes to happen and you try to stab me in the neck, I would have no problem taking out my gun and shooting you point blank with a smile on my face and still being respectful. But it's just, it's just part of the business. Don't take it personal. We deal with the scum of the earth most of the time with, with the really bad people. But you don't know that one person like Justin, that it's a, a, a good citizen, just made a mistake. You don't know who you're dealing with. So you gotta, you can't just put a blanket. I can't generalize like what's going on right now and in, in, in everywhere. They generalize all the cops are bad. I can't do that. You can't, as a cop, you can't generalize. Oh yeah, no. This guy's got tats on his face. He's got to be bad. But I got to be careful now. When I stop a car with a, with a, with a NRA sticker, sticker on the back, I know that he might be armed. And as being a part of a good police officer, keeping yourself safe and everybody else safe is knowing the threats. So if I walk up to a guy with a, in a car that has an NRA sticker, I can't just walk up with my gun pointing at his face because you have an NRA sticker. But that, that's definitely going to be one of my first questions. If we treat it like a business, oh, you could have called somebody else, but you wanted me here. It's more like, what can I do for you? And then I want you to be satisfied when you leave. I want to give really good customer service to you because 
I want when you start voting that that year when you vote for a raise for the for the pensions or the police officers or or when people start bad mouthy police, you're going to be the one who's going to say, hey, no, they're not all like that. I, I wanted to actually ask you a, a specific question that I think will lead to maybe a general answer for you that will answer some some bigger questions about what you guys go through. I've lived in Southern California for uh, most of my adult life now. And over the last five, 10 years, there has been a marked increase in homelessness all over the city. I have, a, I have two kids as well at home. And uh, I was home, this was a couple months ago, I was home and there was a guy on my front lawn smoking crack. He was a homeless guy, you could clearly tell. And so I called the cops. They came right away. I was actually really surprised at how quickly they came. I didn't call. Yeah, you know, I, like obviously I didn't call nine one one. I called like the the non emergency number, and within a couple minutes they were there. And they approached the guy, and I'm watching out my window. I could hear them, and they asked him to. Uh, you know, they said the people in the building are complaining that you're making because he was like singing and he was clearly high. And they said, you know, the people in the building are complaining. Can you just move down the street? And they pushed him down the street and just said, just just take it down there. And I thought to myself, like, isn't smoking crack still against the law in California? So my bigger question is, number one, can you can you shed some light on why the problem of homelessness has gotten so much worse? And is is government policy perhaps affecting what you're how you're allowed to deal with the problem? You know, propositions that they keep passing and letting people with smaller crimes, nonviolent drug crimes go and everything that used to be a felony became now uh, a misdemeanor, pretty much a possession of uh, hard drugs that used to be felonies. Now, now it's all misdemeanors. Possession of parole used to be a felony. Is that political in nature? The reason those have been downgraded? Uh, everybody has their opinion. Some people think it's because the, the system is overcrowded. They want to get people out. And some people think it's 100% political because uh, it looks good because this is where public opinion is swaying. It, it seems that even in really affluent neighborhoods, um, there's homeless now everywhere. They're camped out. And, and, and I don't think that the people who live in those neighborhoods, even if they're super liberal, you know, not to bring politics too much into it, but even if they're super liberal, I don't think anyone likes seeing that in their neighborhood, especially if they have kids. So I'm trying to figure out where the political pressure comes from. This is the hypocrisy of society. Everybody's cool when when you're not affected. You're gonna post the 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 Black Lives Matter on your, on your Facebook or social media. I, I want to be I want to be part of the movement. But if you really want to be part of the movement, citizenship that is what what is all about you want to do the right thing vote for the people who you know are not going to be bought by special interests vote for the people that are not going for lobbyists go vote for the people that you think has your best interest in mind don't just say for oh no this this is this is horrible this is bad and then when it's right next to your doorstep and you're like oh no 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 i deal with a lot of homeless so especially in la uh homeless count is what 50 to 60,000, i believe the, the reason why we deal with so much uh, homelessness is the breakdown of the culture, the, the culture of American, the fabric of uh, family. The breakdown of sort of the American family. Because back in the day, it used to be that the authority figure had your best interest in mind because they could tell you what to do. They want what's best for you. That was the mentality. Now it's like they're trying to tell you what to do because they want to try to gain something or they're trying to take take control of you. 
and 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 that's all that's where it all stems from and there is a breakdown in our, in our family values in our in our in our education from home people nowadays expect teachers to teach their kids manners they want the government basically to do everything for them unfortunately that that's where it, i think it stems from the only thing I want to ask you as a follow up to that, and you know, without getting too into politics, this is a, a political podcast. It, it is no, but it is all into politics. It, it, police work is politics. There is sort of conjecture on both the American right and the American left that a lot of policy within a police force comes down from the top and is influenced by politicians or by the court of public opinion and can be very easily swayed. So if you're in a very a particularly liberal area, for instance, cops are told by their superiors to stand down on certain issues that the public is supposed to be cooler with, for lack of a better word. Do you think that is actually true or is that more of just a stereotype? Uh, to a certain extent, it is, it is very true. Um, remember that, like I said, police work has not, police policies and work have, have not changed that much. And that's one thing that needs to change. It needs to adapt. It needs to adapt with the times. And that could be a good thing. The leadership has become so political that guidance is almost non-existent. So they just basically, the cops are sort of left to their own devices. To, they, they don't have any clear guidance on what they're supposed to do. If I let a bad guy go, he knows that all he has to do is push the envelope and I'm going to have to let him go. As a bad guy, you're going to start thinking, oh, this, so certain, certain bad people take advantage of that. But that's just the era we live in. We have to be more accountable and more responsible for more things. Our responsibilities keep adding up. Every, every year, we get more and more responsibilities. And it's catering to a community that doesn't want to take ownership. People don't want to be responsible for anything. Everything is somebody else's fault. You made me pull out, grab a gun and do this. You look at the looting right now. I have a lot of friends that have businesses that got burned to the ground here in California. They have break-ins. Uh, I have a friend that owns a pharmacy and he got broken into. He showed me the video. He has video inside. And these people are going all for the narcotics. And the cops were standing outside with uh, the rubber pellets and just waiting until they finished to go out. Is everybody okay? All right. They didn't try to arrest or anything. Because if they did, and he got into some type of altercation, would that incite even more riots? So for the greater good, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry that they broke into your business. And he had another same, same type of business that got burned to the ground. Uh, everybody said, and the, the, the people who are looting, oh, they have insurance. It doesn't matter. No, the insurance is not going to cover anything. He's done. That place is done. He can't, he can't recover. Responsibility should lie on the person doing it. But we're at this point in our society that responsibility lies on everybody else because we drove him to that. We, we pushed him to, to act this way. We pushed him to, to be a certain way. There's a lot of politics involved, a lot of politics especially when it comes to money. You heard that yeah. uh, LA mayor announced that he was going to take, uh, I think, $150 million from the LAPD and give it to uh, minority programs. Neither of us support, obviously, the defund the police movement. We don't see that it does a lot of good to the communities. And um, I, I think we were both distraught to see that announcement today. I, I get into this debate a lot. I have a lot of very, very um, left-wing, uh, liberal friends, Silicon Valley type, you know, like Seattle. <laughs> they, they're always, oh, no, the police is like a military thing. We should just disband the police. 
it, it comes down to family values. It comes down to how you were brought up. In, in the beginning of times, when people weren't so uh, scientific, what it, they, they realized, oh, we're going to live as a community? In, in a sense, let's say God will punish you if you do this. So people started following rules because they were, they were afraid of the wrath of God. As science started to, to evolve and people started realizing, hey, what I do here, it's a direct reflection of what I'm doing. And then a little bit of reality sets in, a little bit more science, and people are more less religious and less afraid of the wrath of God because it doesn't affect them directly. They start saying, ah, you know, I'm not afraid of this. So if nobody's watching and you got no police to enforce it, do you really think people will do the right thing? Saying that people are generally consider themselves less accountable than they did in the past. Very much so. Because they, they, there's nothing that they're afraid of. And um, it, it's, I, in my personal opinion, I think it's wrong to feed to that. We need leadership that says, hey, guys, this is your, your, your community. Don't destroy your community. There's a right and there's a wrong. And if someone is, if no one's looking, you could still do a wrong thing and it's still wrong. There's good and bad in every left, right, liberal, anything. There's good and bad. I have friends in all colors of the rainbow. My main thing with the United States, I mean, we coming from different, three different cultures, this is the best country in the world. We have the most freedoms. You have the freedom to be the nicest person, the best person you can be, or you have the freedom to be the worst, the most obnoxious. It's up to you. It comes to a point where people can't handle freedom. Part of my job is I protect everybody's freedoms. I don't, I don't care if I agree with what you're saying or not. I don't care if this person next to you agrees or not. I protect your right to say whatever you want to say, as long as it's not illegal, of course. Well, you take an oath to the Constitution, right, to become an officer. Yeah. If you, if you want to say things about somebody's race, somebody's color of hair, that's, that's your right. You're American. You can do that. And then same to you. You can say whatever you want to say. I can't teach common sense. That's not my job. My job is to protect your right to be you. But as long as your freedom is not infringing on other people's rights, that's when we come in. Probably the main reason of why we started this podcast and why it's called Down the Middle is that we realize that there are the media sort of exploits the fringe of each side, it's the fringe of the left, the fringe of the right. What we kind of realized was that there are a lot of people who are liberals who are very pro law enforcement, and not everyone necessarily fits into a little bit, a little box. But when you, if you're on the 24 hour news cycle all day and you're on Twitter and you're on Facebook, you're you get brainwashed into thinking that. And that's why there's so much divisiveness. Did, did you know that uh, George Floyd had a criminal record? I, I did. When? When you guys find that out? Today, actually. This is, this is what I'm saying. No news outlet put it out until the president of the, uh, the union, of the police officers union in Minneapolis, said it on some type of interview and the New York... Uh, I forgot. It's like a small paper or something, New York something, and then they put it out and then slowly started coming out. I mean, regardless of his criminal background, but it doesn't fit. It's a pertinent piece of information and they just didn't report it. But they don't want to, they don't want to report it because if they do that, you don't feel as bad about George Floyd. Human, human nature is going to be like, oh, he wasn't a nice guy, but he's being treated like a hero right now. He, he, he got more attention than Kobe when Kobe passed away. What you said about uh, George Floyd and Kobe Bryant is very pertinent to bring it all sort of full circle where people are lifting this man up as a hero. It really shouldn't be about him. 
It should be about the reforms that are happening and the changes that need to be made inside the system to make it more efficient and safer for the citizens and for you. You know, I have, we have a, uh, on, on, our, on our department, we have a lot of African-American officers, a lot, uh, more than most departments because of the demographics where we, we are. One of the common things that African-American officers say is, oh, yeah, I know this guy's doing this. I was like, what are you talking about? Oh, I know my people. That's why. You want to talk about generalizing and generalize a, a whole race. We went amongst ourselves like, um, you know, whites, they, they, they'll, they'll make fun of all whites. Asians make fun of Asians. Blacks make fun of blacks. But it, it's when you let it bleed over to your work, accountability. You have to be honest with yourself. You got to say, you know what? That's not something I should say. Because when you say it, you act on it. And that's why you shouldn't say the N-word. Yeah. And I'm in the belief that even African-American people shouldn't be saying the N-word. But it's okay for them to say the N-word and to call white people certain, certain names. But if, you, if a white person says the N-word, then, oh my God, God forbid, you're going to get lynched right there. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. This was great stuff. No, thank you, guys. This, this, is, what, this is what America needs. We need people just to talk. Three different points of view that can actually say this is right and this is wrong. It doesn't matter what I believe in, what I feel. This is what's right. It's not about feeling. It's about logic. And we lost that. We appreciate your time and thank you for, for being with us. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Have a good night, man. Take care. All right, guys. Hey, talk to you later. Take care. Bye. Bye. Well, that wraps up our interview with Officer Ed. Make sure to go to downthemiddlepod.com to find out more info and contact us. If you send us questions, we'll answer them on air. Follow us on social media at Down the Middle Podcast on Instagram, Down the Middle PC on Twitter, and Down the Middle Pod on Facebook. If that's too confusing, just go to downthemiddlepod.com. They're all there. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can find me at, at Justin Siegel, S I E G E L, on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow Rob at, at Rob Leifer, L-E-I-F-E-R on Twitter. All right, guys, that's it for now. We'll see you next week.